In this episode, 127 of the Happiness Playbook, you may be tempted to call me a liar because what I'm going to share may seem unbelievable to some of you. But I swear on a stack of Bibles and my mother's grave, it's true. I'm Larie Florence, and I'll be your host of this episode of the Happiness Playbook. But before I share this unbelievable truth, we need to have a happiness team huddle. And by the way, that's not a typo in the title of this episode. How did you do with last week's play of the week? Did you have the opportunity to slow down and really be present with another person and try to look outward and see things from their perspective? I hope you'll share your experiences doing this in a comment on playtheory.org or in a direct message on Instagram following the Happiness Playbook or on our Play Theory Facebook page. By the way, if you're not following us already on social media, do yourself a solid and get on it. Adeline, our social media director, posts some lovely reminders and quotes to help support your happiness practice. Okay, back to last week's Play the Week. I had a chance to put it into practice using, well, sorry, while I was doing a weekly extracurricular play theory class that I teach at John Adams Academy here near my home. The ages for the class are on the younger side, which can make it more challenging for participants to fully grasp the principles at first, but I'm up for the challenge most weeks. This last week, though, over half the class was exceptionally squirrely. They weren't listening and were struggling to sit up in their chairs, let alone still. Some of them were sprawled out on the floor instead of sitting crisscross applesauce. One new boy I hadn't met joined the class after we had gotten started, and during our first activity, I noticed that he was in tears not the typical response to a play theory workshop. In that moment of being surrounded by a dozen inattentive nine and 10 year olds with one in tears, I was tempted to start crying myself. Then I remembered the play of the week and I looked outward. I took a deep breath and thought about the participants in the class instead of the lesson material I was struggling to teach. Looking outward towards them helped me remember that they were meeting with me after their long school day, and they were worn out. They were actually tired. They were stick-a-fork-in-me done. So I acknowledged that they must be feeling tired. I asked them if it had been a long day. For some, this acknowledgement alone made a big difference, and there was more cooperation after that. A few still needed a break and sat out for a while before joining back in. Honestly, it was still a fairly low-quality play theory experience, as the energy level was very low, but my frustration level was much more manageable after I considered where the participants were emotionally and physically because I had slowed down and looked outward. Here's a bit of a tangent, but it's worth it. When I'm directing a show, I'll ask the actors to imagine where they are before they've entered a scene. For example, in Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream, at one point, the lost lovers have been wandering about in the woods for hours before they enter the scene and start their dialogue. 
In one rehearsal, I could not get of a believable delivery from the actors, so I sent them off to trudge through some blackberry briars in my backyard. When they came back in to run the lines again, the frustration, exasperation, and exhaustion in their delivery was much more believable because it was more real for them. Here's the tie-in. In real life, whenever we are somewhere, we have all come from somewhere else. Those kids in the scene needed us to believe that they had been somewhere experiencing the woods before they started the dialogue, if they wanted the audience to believe it. The kids in the after-school play theory class that I was teaching had come from a long day of school, and that affected their current level of energy and mood. So think about it. When you're talking to an employee at some, you know, a grocery store or at your restaurant that you're eating at, they were doing something else before they started talking to you. And if that was a negative interaction, then there may be some defensiveness or discouragement that comes through to you. If it was a positive interchange, on the other hand, you might benefit from some residual cheerfulness and kindness. Here's an exciting idea. What if we all strive to spread the good kind of energy instead of the bad by leaving every person we interact with feeling more validated? That is the power of looking outward. Okay, back to this episode and what you won't believe. And also an apology for my very noisy dog who was sitting happily in his little bed before I started recording, but now he's doing who knows what, but it's noisy. Okay, did you know that if you lack confidence, standing up on a stage in front of other people without any preparation or planning can be just what you need to get over your fears? Unbelievable, right? Let's break it down. I'll be taking some of these talking points from an article from NPR called The Rules of Improv Can Make You Funnier, They Can Also Make You More Confident. I'll put the link in the show notes. The author, who had moved to New York City, was surprised that the improv classes that they were taking made them less anxious instead of more anxious. And here's a quote from the article. It turns out there are several mental health benefits of performing this art, meaning improv. According to a 2020 study published in the journal Thinking Skills and Creativity, researchers found that doing just 20 minutes of improv can increase creativity, well-being, and our ability to tolerate uncertainty. Another study from 2019 found that doing improv was associated with reductions in social anxiety in adolescents. Honestly, my experience coaching improv and working with adolescents, I have seen this play out time and time again. The authors of the NPR article, Oluwakimi Aldesiyi and Audrey Nagayan, now you know why I didn't say them originally. I got brave there and decided to say them. They share how, when applied, these principles of improv help us practice more self-love, 
greater confidence, and feel more self-actualized. Now, they have a different take on the rules of improv, and they list five. See if any of them sound familiar, though. The first one they list is yes and. Now, this is foundational to improv. Improv, a scene in improv is made out of nothing. There are no prepared scripts and characters. There's no practicing or rehearsing. Improvisers step onto a stage and make suggestions that if they have a good scene partner, they'll say yes to that idea and then they'll add to it. In regular life, we don't often say, or I'm sorry, in regular life, we often say no to offers and ideas instead of yes, because it's easier. We know what will happen when we say no. It stops things. And sometimes we need to stop something. Saying yes will make things happen. Consider that the next time you say no from a place of reaction instead of true consideration. In play theory, we call this anyone Anyone, for those Ferris Bueller fans, accept and build. Yes, thank you to all of you who said that out loud. I love you. Okay, the second principle that they list in the article is embrace mistakes. What play theory principle does that sound like? Yep, let go and play. Mistakes are going to happen, especially if you're standing on a stage in front of an audience and you're making stuff up on the spot. Shout out to TNT's amazing improv team on the spot. If you're local, come see them perform. Some of us get hung up on trying to avoid making mistakes, but that's just a recipe for anxiety overkill cake because everyone slips up sometimes. In my experience, when that happens in improv, it can be some of the funniest moments. So embrace it. Let go of the shame and self-loathing and fear that can accompany mistakes. And instead, accept that a mistake happened and remember, you can always learn from it. Something I try to think about is that with time, mistakes often become a really great story to tell later. All right, the third improv rule that they talk about in the article is a good one. Don't shy away from yourself. Be who you are and tell the story only you can tell because no one else has lived your life. You don't have to be anybody else. I really like this idea of authenticity and I think it fits really well with accept and build. Accept who you are and build from there. One caveat would be to not be so much of yourself that you're not looking outward at others' needs. Okay, their fourth rule or guideline for improv is be present in your body. This one is pretty much identical to play theory's first principle, which is... Um, da -da 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 -da. I'll give you a little more time. Anybody, can you think of it? I think we can all say it together. Be present. Thank you for those of you playing along. In improv, listening to your scene partners is imperative, or you'll miss offers and ideas that the audience will have heard, but you missed. And we know that listening isn't possible when we're not actively present where we are. Being present 
in our body is a great reminder to be more observant about what we're actually doing and how we are presenting ourselves. Have you ever caught yourself staring off into space and not realized it until someone called your name? It's easier than you think to lose track of yourself. Okay, they have another rule. This one is called make room for play. And this one is like the other half of play theories, let go and play. In improv, there are opportunities to create games or challenges for other actors in a scene that can be wildly entertaining. As a species, we love to play so much that we even love to watch others play. After all, that's what sports really are, games where people are playing against and with each other. That's one of the reasons I called this paradigm that consists of the four principles, be present, let go and play, which I am doing by letting my dog sit here and snort into the microphone, accept and build, and look outward, play theory. I think it's plausible that these ideas are what makes play positive. Play also lowers the stakes and is a great way to learn new skills. Think about little children playing pretend. They're practicing their people skills and figuring out the rules of social interactions. There's a saying that practice makes perfect, and that's what play is to a child, practice for life. And it looks to me that our current culture could use a little more practice. And that is the paradox of improv. When you do unscripted performances, what you're really doing is practicing for life, which is also unscripted. This is one of the reasons so many businesses love having applied improv workshops for their staff. These principles help people perform better in all of life's complicated interactions or scenes. Applied improv is just a fancy way of saying you're teaching a team or organization the principles of improv with the intention of applying them in everyday life and the business's operations. Time and time again, applied improv training has shown itself to be a valuable resource for businesses because it consistently helps people have more positive interactions and improves collaboration and creativity in teams. For me, it boils down to this. Improvisers, despite not having a chance to rehearse or prepare a scene, just like in life, they do share a set of loose rules or principles that help them work together to create scenes starting from nothing. Speaking of teams, I can't resist a bit of a brag that demonstrates the power of applying the play theory principles. A few years back, our improv team had a chance to compete in the old improv competition. This was a competition that was associated with a national Shakespeare competition that we traveled to another state to compete in. And our little podunk team that was self-taught using the play theory principles was up against scores of other teams, some that came from large high schools with huge student bodies, and even one whose improv coach had started the professional comedy venue, Comedy Sports. Well, 
Not only did our team take first place, we, for the first time in the history of the competition, achieved a perfect score. Now, afterwards, looking at the adjudication forms and the judges' comments, they were very generous, but what struck me was how they had laid out the judging criteria into five categories that pretty much lined up directly with the four play theory principles, plus one more for showmanship. No wonder the judges loved us, because play theory was the fuel for our improv team. I'm telling you, play theory for the win, for improv competitions, and for life. These principles can improve, notice how similar that word is to improv, your life and the lives of those around you. Teaching these principles to the kids who are participating in the play theory class and the after-school program had reminded me how important the play theory principles are if we want to have a positive community. The other day, I saw a heartbreaking news report of a young man who was shot at his high school while he was retaliating to bullies who had been hitting him and taking his things. I mean, robbing him. When the officer arrived at the scene and this desperate, hurting young man did not drop his knife that he was using to threaten others with, the officer shot him. My heart breaks for such senseless violence. If only those involved in this incident knew the power of accepting one another and building instead of valuing the short-lived excitement of tearing another person down. The increase in such hostility in our culture is what's truly unbelievable to me. If we could each just stop and be present with another person and really look outward and see what they are feeling, maybe then we could let go of the hate and anger and get back to playing with one another. Then we could build a supportive, positive culture. Our current culture tends to have a pervasive assumption that saying no is the best reaction because it feels powerful in a world that is always on the attack. This blocking ideas and stopping others turns into a vicious cycle of tit-for-tat retaliation culminating in hopelessness and anger. And we do not need more of these two emotions. Did you know that hopelessness fuels anger? I imagine it like a dial of emotions, similar to our color wheel. And right next to hopelessness's blue is anger's vibrant red. I believe play theory can bring hope and thus assuage anger. Consider that an empty stage could feel like hopelessness. There's no plan. You may feel afraid and uncertain. Then a scene partner enters and through the play theory principles being present and listening to you, letting go and being playful, accepting your ideas and building on them, and looking outward and considering your needs, a scene develops and before you know it, there are genuine smiles and a feeling of well-being and dare I say, hopefulness. The tragic headlines of shootings and wars 
can definitely leave us feeling the opposite, hopeless. One way to counter this is to spread hope. Sharing the message of play theory is the way I do that. And I really, really hope you'll join me. Commenting, liking, sharing on social media helps others find this message and spreads hope. Giving the podcast a positive rating on iTunes and Spotify also helps. And I get a serious jolt of hope every time I read one of your reviews. To those who have made the effort to do so, thank you. Leaving a review is a superhero play of the week because it helps the algorithm find us, which makes it more visible to others who are searching for the unbelievable truth. If we all do something, it does add up. So let's each do our part. Every day of our lives is like that empty stage. We don't get a script with lines and blocking to rehearse two weeks out ahead. We take what happens each day as it comes, and the best tools we have to transform that empty stage from something frightening and intimidating into something joyful and safe is to apply the play theory principles. Earlier, we mentioned that doing improv can increase creativity, well-being, confidence, and our ability to tolerate uncertainty, which reduces our anxiety. That's all good and well if you live in New York City and can grab the next available improv class session. But for most of us, the good news is using the play theory principles in our everyday, day-to-day life can have similar benefits. So I hope You'll lean in and practice these skills every chance you get. Okay, here's your play of the week. This week, every time you interact with another person, use one of the play theory principles. Be present, let go and play, accept and build, or look outward. These are the building blocks of a successful improv scene and the foundation of a positive interaction between humans. Doing so will lower your anxiety, increase your sense of well-being. I want to hear how you're doing on this challenge. If you know me, drop me a text or shoot me an email. You can find me at Laree Florence, L-A-R-E-E-F-L-O-R-E-N-C-E at gmail.com. If you're on social media, follow, like, comment, and share our posts and reels. And you can also leave a comment here on playtheory.org. I don't know what I'll be covering next week. If you've got any ideas, I'd love to hear them. Reach out on social media or in a comment or leave a review and share your thoughts there. I'm all ears. Thank you for listening and for caring and for sharing this podcast. I really appreciate it. Till next week, keep practicing the playtheory principles to strengthen your happiness flex. Like many other things in life, if you don't use it, you lose it. So remember, practice your happy because happiness is a skill that you can master.